on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. The Oklahoma Sooners are 10 and 1. We recap their win over Iowa State and the National College Football Roundup. We recap the beatdowns that took place in big games in week 12 of college football. And we finish up by giving you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, November 22nd, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and your health and safety are Riverwind's number one priorities. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And Fridays in November from 6 p.m. to midnight, you can win your share of $115,000 in cash bonus play and prizes in Riverwind's Let's Get Digital promotion. Preliminary drawings are every 30 minutes, and grand prize drawings will happen at 1159. If you need help finding your way, just visit riverwind.com, Riverwind Casino, still the one. Now, we're recording this Sunday night. Please leave us a five star review and a nice comment. 10 and one for the Oklahoma Sooners, Ted. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't feel like 10 and one for some reason. I just, <laughs> I, the game went, I mean, let's just get right into it, right? The game was. It was a nice win, but at the same time, it also felt like it wasn't a nice win. This this team continues to confuse and perplex us. Yeah, um, you know there was there was times in the game where it looked like they were really going to open it up, really take control of it, and you know for whatever reason could really just uh, to make make those plays. But like we've said a bunch of times this year. They made the plays to win the football game. Um, like I've said before, there's winning football games is a skill and pulling them out whenever it's close and having the guts to, to make the plays down the stretch is you got to give them credit for that. You do, plain and simple. Now, I felt like if anyone other than Brock Purdy was playing quarterback for Iowa State, they probably would have won the game. But, I mean... He's he's playing there, so he made bad mistakes that that ultimately cost him. So hey, man, uh, survive in advance. That's what this thing is. You got to give him credit for that. Yeah, and it 
it sets up one hell <laughs> of a bedlam on, on Saturday. Now we'll we'll get to that on the next episode, right? But let, let's recap what went down in Norman against Iowa State. You you mind if we start on offense? I feel like I feel like the the frustrations of the fan base. They've been they've been bouncing back and forth with who they're mad at the most this season. <laughs> one week it's the offense, the next it's the defense. I like I feel like the majority of the frustration from this football game is is aimed at the offensive performance. Do you think it do you think that's accurate? Uh yes. Okay. I do. Yeah. Okay. So let's start there because it's always more fun to talk about the stuff that people are angry about uh at the at the start of the podcast. Okay. I do want to start with the run game. So you look at you look at what they did on the ground. Rushed for over 200 yards, uh, got back to the zone running game, uh, ran zone concepts 20-plus times in this game. I charted them all very similar to what they did against Kansas State. A ton of split zone in this game from Oklahoma. Built some play actions off it, some boot off of it. Uh, Sprinkled some gap stuff in there that I thought looked, looked pretty good for the most part. Overall, thought the run game was pretty solid. Now it wasn't perfect. It wasn't just like utterly dominant, but it was it was much much more productive than what we saw from this team uh, against Baylor and against Texas Tech in the last couple. And Ted, man, I I went back and watched the game twice, and I, I was a little inebriated when I watched it on Saturday night. So I I was like, you know what, I need to clear the mind, I need to watch it fresh Sunday, and. I think oh you could have rushed for 400 yards in that game. I I really do with with the way Iowa State played them with how conservative they were with what they did defensively. Oh you should have handed it off 50 times and ran for 400 yards. I I think they would have been able to do it if they just would have called the runs and if Caleb Williams just would have handed them off. <laughs> so and they would have won by if they would have done that. I, I think they would have won by two, three, maybe. Now I'll say three scores. I think they would have won by like seventeen to twenty-one points if they just would have done that. But they didn't. And one thing when it comes to the run game, right? Because there are a lot of positives from that game. But one thing that that bothered me is the end of the game, right? That, that last drive, or I guess it's technically not the last drive, but they have a chance to go in the football game running the football, right? And you get out there, first down, you run split zone for a loss of four. Zone read. Quarterback keeps it, minus four. Second down, you run split zone for a loss of two. Uh, third down, you, know, you say, hey, we're good here. You run QB draw. You gain like five, and you punt. And you give Iowa State the football back with a chance to go tie and possibly win the game. That is a that is a point in the football game that you have to be able to run the ball. And that's that's what great teams do, right? They can run it when the game's on the line, when the defense knows you're going to run it. And it did not go particularly well in that situation in that game for the Sooners, Ted. No, um, and you're right. Like that's it's nice to be able to run the ball throughout the game, and and obviously it's a huge part 
of our offense, a huge part of what we do. Um, you've got to be able to do that. But like the next level is when everyone knows it's coming. The defense, the fans, the people watching on TV, the people calling the game, here it comes. And it's all about moving people, running through tackles, making the extra guy miss, you know, whatever that play calls for, executing it. And you, you can't just execute. You're going to have to out-physical people there at the point of attack. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what you got to do in those situations. So, no, I, I understand. It was frustrating, and you could you could hear because we just gave up a touchdown, right? They just went right down the field on us throwing the football. So it's like, oh, my God, three plays and out. You could hear the uneasiness uh, go across the stadium. So, yeah, those those are moments where you got to be able to put people away. Yeah, so uh, that was frustrating going back and watching that. And, and then one other major complaint I have is if they're going to run this split zone, outside zone, if they're, if they're going to stick with this concept, which, please, God, please let them stick with this concept. It's by far their best running scheme, please. But they're going to have to start chopping some guys on the backside of it. Right, because you go back and look, not a single cut block on the backside of these zone concepts. And and I know the rules are a little different now. Uh, the defender technically has to be facing you when you cut him, but the opportunities are there. And, and I would like to see, whether it's backside guards, certainly backside tackles. That like, I want to see early in the football game those guys cutting defensive linemen cutting linebackers on the backside of zone because you can tell, I mean, you know this better than anyone, that changes the thought process of defenders for the rest of the entire football game. All you have to do is once or twice in the first quarter. Yep. That's it. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> those guys on the backside, they're, they're not flying downhill quite as fast. Oh, yeah. And I think I may have said this on here before, but whenever I used to be a wing on punt team in the NFL, and teams would stay and punt safe and have those big, gigantic defensive ends out there, I would say, hey, man, if you rush, I'm going to cut you. I'm just telling you. I just want to warn you that if you rush, I'm cutting you. Some guys would get all pissed off. Some guys would say, hey, man, I appreciate it. But nobody ever rushed hard. I'll just tell you that right now because defensive linemen do not like getting cut. My question to you on that is, so we've been – a for years, a heavy gap scheme team. And I know we practice the zone stuff, but late in a season, whenever everyone's beat up and this is about the time when people start pulling the pads off and stuff. And can you, is that something that they've, they've worked on because it's not as easy as it sounds. I mean, there's technique involved there being able to do it right. Is that something that you can start doing this late in the game? I'm going to say this, and it is going to sound bad, okay? I'm prefacing my statement with this. That is what walk-ons are for. <laughs> and I'm not like, and I, listen, I was, I appreciated walk-ons, loved them. Th those guys, like, they do so much for a program. But if you need to work something, if you need to work a technique, if you got to work on cutting on the backside during a Tuesday practice, when you divide up and you're running cards with the scout team, 
You're cutting those guys' ass, right? I, I mean, you have to work on it. That's just the reality. It's like, hey, make it known. Be like, dude, hey, I we we, we are live because if you haven't worked it, you have to work it somehow, right? And you can work it on bags and stuff like that. And you can talk about running through the thigh boards and taking an extra step and all that stuff when it comes to cutting on the backside of zone. But it's something you kind of have to do to find out what works for you. So yeah, cut the walk-ons. They're not playing. Well, um, most of them, most of them. Don't, don't cut any of the ones that are playing. I'm fine with that because uh, we got to get that. Like if, if, if that's something that we're going to start doing and that's going to help us out, we need to get good at it because the team we play this week is tied with Georgia for yards given up rushing a game, 77 yards a game. So that's going to be a big challenge. And they get off on the snap along the defensive line. And what is something that'll slow those guys down <laughs> in a hurry, Ted? You Early cut. in the game, cut their ass. <laughs> and make them say, oh, oh, we haven't seen this on tape. This is different. This is, Start I don't coming like off the this. ball like this with their hands out ready for that cut. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, all those guys aren't living in the backfield just ripping and roaring up the field. All of a sudden, they're going, ooh, ooh, I don't like that. I'm just saying. All right, let's get quarterback. Quarterback. Um, the interception was very bad. Very bad. But I do think this is a case where I don't think he was as bad as people may think in the passing game. Because watching it, guys just weren't very open. A lot of the time, right? With, with what they did defensively, just guys were covered. There's a lot of guys back there, and that's why I go back to saying they, they should have just ran it more. But he barely missed a couple of throws that would have been big plays, and it, it seems like they've just been slightly off on a lot of those lately. Ted, and he has got to understand the timing of some of these things. And one thing that is clear after going and watching this game is he needs to understand he can't hold the football in his own end zone. Now, Anton Harrison has to not get beat like a drum, too. But you can't sit there and pat the football for four or five seconds in your own end zone. That was almost you we you mentioned the critical error that Brock Purdy made, right? To change the entire football game before halftime. That fumble in the end zone that luckily Anton Harrison, even though he gave up the sack strip fumble, he was able to get the ball and you know get some breathing space out of the end zone. That could have changed the game entirely. Can't happen. Uh, I, I said this in the post game. You know, it's here's how here's how football is. You know, it's a game of inches, and we say that all the time. People don't care to hear it, but if we don't have two fumbles bounce directly to us, one of them returned for a touchdown, the other picked up and run out to the five yard line, we probably don't win that game. You know, as close as it was. That's that's just how close these games are, and sometimes it takes a couple of bounces. So, yeah, I mean, critical error. Cost Iowa State a touchdown. Luckily, didn't cost us one. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the touchdown run. 
to start the game. Awesome play. You see the speed. I even love the little taunt at the end of it. I love it. Keep doing it. Just don't get called for it. Keep doing it. I loved it. But it was kind of a mental error from Caleb Williams, right? And people have been arguing on Twitter with me about this, and I assure you, I am correct. It wasn't called. That play, it's not a called play. Like it, The play is, it's an RPO. It's a box count play. You throw the bubble if the box is loaded, which it was not. So Caleb Williams in that situation. And once again, I'm not here to complain about broken play touchdowns. Give me all the broken play touchdowns, Ted. But in that situation, he's supposed to hand the GT counter off to Kennedy Brooks. Now, he realized he made a mistake not handing it off to Kennedy Brooks. And shout out to Kennedy Brooks for he turned around and looked like, what is happening here? But went and found work, got a huge block on Eisworth that kind of sprung the entire thing. And sometimes mistakes result in great touchdowns, but he continues to make those types of errors. And he needs to eliminate that. He needs to eliminate. There's no doubt the kid has all the talent in the world, whether it's you know his arm strength, his ability to run the football, but he's got to remain calm out there. He's got to start seeing things clearer, Ted. He's got to start making better decisions with the football, not only in the pass game, but in the running game as well. If they're going to put that responsibility on his plate, they're going to give him concepts where he's reading things, whether it's RPOs, zone reads, the GT read scheme. They're going to start taking off the read. They're going to start just calling give if right. he doesn't make better decisions. He's got, and that's simple. He's just got to make better decisions. Yeah. And, you know, it, Sometimes, like, that play is good for a ton of reasons. Obviously, we needed that game to win the football game. Um, But sometimes plays like that are bad because it doesn't hammer home to the player how important it is to get that stuff right. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, I made a huge play off of it. I can – I'm good enough to make those type of plays – um, but you're right because the, there will come a time where, you know, the difference between winning and losing a football game is a mistake like that. So, and, and those mistakes are going to happen, man. People don't play uh, perfect football games. There's there's a lot of guys out there that are, you know, sifting through a lot of data, making a lot of decisions on the fly, real time, super fast, with all kinds of different moving parts out there. So mistakes are going to happen. Luckily, this one was a mistake that turned into, what, the biggest play of the day. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's good whenever they don't cost you, but you, you got to dial in the screws and be good on that stuff, especially one that's like a, it's like a predetermined situation. You know, it's not like, you know, you're, you're, you should know before the, you even snap the ball what's happening, right? Right. Uh, I mean, motion across. Defense is exactly what you thought it was going to be. Hand GT counter off or throw the bubble. Those are the choices. <laughs> I mean, but hey, I will say, when he does keep it. Now, I want him to hand it when he's supposed to hand it, right? When, when the read says hand it, hand the football off. But when he does decide to keep the football in the read run game, he got to be a little more decisive, man. 
It's it needs to be this isn't high school anymore. It needs to be a little more downhill, uh, a little more decisive. If the hole is there, you got to hit it. And there's a couple of those in that game where I don't know, I don't know why he didn't run where it was designed to go because the holes are huge. I'm confident, Ted, that if you would have been at quarterback, you're picking up at least seven, <laughs> at least with the way that some of these things were blocked. So he's got to get downhill. He's got to eliminate the hesitation, trying to bounce everything. Just take the ball where it's designed. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You got to trust it. And, you know, I, don't, think that- I don't want to, I, I don't want him to like not be a creative player because clearly he's, he, he's got that. Right. But also when you see some of these things and you're like, gosh, that hole is there and it's gigantic. It's just, it's a little frustrating to watch. I think some of that goes back to one of the worrisome things about him is maybe trying to not necessarily win the game on every play, but turn every play into a huge play instead of just trusting the blocking, run it up where it's supposed to be instead of, you know, it's the high school thing is to always bounce it outside. You know, it's like when in doubt, you're faster than everyone else. You just bounce it outside. So no, I'm with you. Uh, thought Kennedy Brooks was solid. Um, I, I think he got, as they kept running more and more of the split zone stuff, I think he got more comfortable with the timing and kind of the subtle differences between that and running some of the gap schemes uh, started, started speeding up the process a little bit, which I, which I was a big fan of uh, Eric Gray. We saw a lot more of the split back stuff. Hadn't seen that in a while. Got him on the field. He still is a guy that I think can help him uh, when when it comes to getting him the football in space. He tends to do some good things when he gets the football. Uh, other skill guys, uh, what do I have in my notes? Hazelwood should use two hands, even though that would have been sick. Yeah. But catching it with two hands is always a good idea. And then my my other note is, it wouldn't be an OU game without Marvin Mims making a nice catch and then getting completely blown up. <laughs> a guy gets blasted every game, it seems like. Well, you know, whenever they throw it up high and you've got to go up and make a play and you're going over the middle, it's it takes a lot of courage to do that whenever you know what's coming on the other end of it. So kudos to him. But, nice play. Yeah, it was really nice. But with, with what Iowa State did defensively, if, if you were one of those people in the stands or at home yelling, just run the ball, I agree. Now, I do think they could have helped Caleb Williams out a little more with some of the play calling in the past game, you know, some shorter, just simpler throws, all right, instead of some of those longer longer route combinations take a while to develop, but it is, it is what it is. Offensive line-wise, start with Andrew Rame. had He actually had some pretty – Solid moments in the running game in this game. Uh, struggled against 93. Isaiah Lee's strength just got push-pulled quite a bit. And it, it kind of goes back to what I've said about Rame the last several weeks. Just needs to get stronger, right? Needs to make gains when it comes to strength. Gains, that's gains with the Z, of course. <laughs> but he, he may also need some Pilates in his life. Tighten up that core, strengthen up that core so you don't get push-pulled as much so he can fight that stuff a little bit, but got injured and it looked bad. Uh, heard a pop. That's never good. 
uh, wasn't able to come back in the game, and it was on the sack strip fumble in the end zone, right? So Harrison makes a big mistake, balls out, starting center gets hurt as a result of all of that. So not ideal, but I, I – and I can't imagine with how ugly it looked on tape. I can't imagine that he'll be back this season, but maybe he's got superhuman ligaments. But it will – It'll be interesting to see what the timeline is for him because it's a and it's extremely frustrating for me because like he needed to have a big off season in the weight right. room. Yep. And when you get hurt this late and it looked as bad as it did, and hopefully it's not as bad as it looked, but that's just that's just a a really unfortunate combo. Yeah. No, I hate that for him. Um that's tough. Hopefully it's not hopefully it's not bad. I don't know, man, but, um, yeah. And that's the thing, man. Off season is especially for guys this age, you know, there's a lot of young talent on this team and, and you've talked about it a lot. Like that's, it's not just strength and conditioning and working on some of those things. There's a lot of technique stuff that you can really see where you've got to get better and see what you've got to really work on and, and start doing some of those things. So that's frustrating. Yeah, so Robert Conjol came in, and he did a nice job, right? And you, he did what he was doing earlier in the season. Uh, you know what you're going to get from him. You're not going to get a lot of wow plays where he's, like, burying guys into the ground. You're, you're just not going to get that, but he knows where he's going, and he covers guys up. Uh, I wish he would get his pads down a little bit in the run game. Uh, that would help him prevent – that would help prevent him getting washed so far on some of the zone concepts, but I'm really not worried about Conjol moving forward. He's a veteran guy. He's strong. He's played a lot of football, right? He's, he's not a dominant player by any means, but I don't think, I don't think there's a drop off or anything like that. In fact, you, you may get a little more consistency. Now he does, he's not going to have as many, Oh damn plays like rain would have every once in a while, but, He's one of those guys who's just like, you You know what you're getting with him. Yeah. No, that's, that's hey, depth is good, man. And, and we've seen that quite a bit. Um, that's one of the things, it's one of the advantages we have over a lot of the teams in this conference is whenever they lose players, important players, the guy stepping in, there's some massive drop off. And, you know, uh, that it's a good thing that we've got guys like Conjol there that can fill in, be solid be trusted, be relied upon uh, to do the right thing. And, and still, you know, it's not an easy position to come out there and be able to to make all the calls and checks and everything and do it just like, you know, off the bench. So that's a big bonus. Yeah. All right. The guards, Marquise Hayes, just wasn't quite in sync with Harrison on the front side combos on, on some of the split zone stuff. They got split quite a few times. It was weird. Uh, I don't know what the issue was there, but thought – Thought Hayes did a pretty solid job washing things all the way across, uh, kind of setting up the cutback lane for Kennedy Brooks on some of those on the back when he was on the backside of some of those zones. But really, I I thought Marquise Marquise's level of play went up when Swenson came in at left tackle. I I looked at it. I think there were only like sixteen meaningful plays with them left guard and left tackle. And I think I had one minus for Marquise Hayes 
in those plays when Swenson was out there. And that's remember, that's two veteran guys that played a lot of ball. Communication's probably pretty clear. So I I don't know if that is if that is something or not. I really don't, but I'll tell you this. I think Eric Swenson's one of the best five offensive linemen they got. Played well right tackle, then bumped over to left tackle in this one as I understand. Which isn't easy got, to do, right? I mean No. That's uh, again, that's the depth thing, and that's a benefit that OU has that a lot of teams just don't. That's it's impressive. I I think he may start in Bedlam because you look at you look at some of the some of the guys <laughs> Oklahoma State's got along that defensive line. Old dudes with strength. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know where he would start, right? You, you can pick one of four spots, but he he knows what he's doing and he plays hard. He's got He's got some limitations when it comes to uh, some things he can do from an athletic perspective, but and I feel like I feel like he may start in Bedlam. Okay, Chris Murray. Uh, these last couple of games, for whatever pre for whatever reason, he seems to play better later in the game. As the game goes on, he plays better. I I don't know why, but he's had some shaky starts, and I would I would like him to play the way he plays in the fourth quarter, the entire game. That would be nice. So some of the stuff in the run game for him, he needs to work on his first step in the zone stuff. So when he's on the front side, he's too measured initially. He he needs to just cut it loose, let it go, uh, take out this little shuffle kind of hesitation thing he's doing. Got to cut that out. And on the backside, he's stepping underneath himself. So he's consistently behind because of that bad first step. He's consistently behind on the backside cutoff stuff which when you're behind it also reduces how much you can wash things by and create the cutback lane because if you're behind, Ted, that nose doesn't feel like he's going to get reached. And when he doesn't right. feel like he's going to get reached, he doesn't run as far laterally. So he's got to fix that first step on the backside of his own. I know that I'm probably a little too far in the weeds here for people, but I don't care. It's how I feel. No, I like it. I, I like that conversation. There is, man... There is a there's an art to blocking the zone the right way. You can tell a big difference between teams that do it well and teams that just have it in a big package of runs that don't really specialize in it. And there's an art to defending it, you know, especially, you know, at, at the defensive line position, obviously, uh, no one win to fight to stay front side, no one win you're cut off and to try and just get upfield on the backside, uh, not run around guys and, and hang your backers out to dry. And at linebacker, it's tough. Like uh, knowing how to go up and attack a guy if he's too flat or if he's got a good angle on you, right? If, if you know, it's an outside zone and you don't see him punch and help like on the nose, you know you can fall back right away. He's going to cut the playoff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, that's going on out there that if, if teams that are good at it, I mean, there's a reason that teams that do it well, don't really do much of anything else. All right. They'll window dress some things, uh, you know, as far as formations and motions, just to try and mess with the defense a little bit, window dress it. But almost everything they do is, is that same concept. Yep. So we'll see if they carry it over to Bedlam. Right, we'll we'll see. Okay, uh, tackles. Tyrese Robinson got a little banged up. Uh, it was weird. Was 
wasn't moving around very well for a section of that game. I, I did think he did some good things, uh, especially in the run game. I like, uh, especially on the backside of zone, was really opening up that hip and running like the velocity he was playing with in some of those scenarios. But he also had like the worst three-play stretch of the season for him. And it really pissed Beanbow off, and he pulled him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, boy. And I will say Tyrese expressed his displeasure, and honestly, that's what I like to see, right? You get pulled out of a game when you've started as many games as he has. Like, I want a guy to be pissed off, and he yep. certainly was. Now, got his chance to go back in the game, right? And played really good football when he got back on the field. So that was was a little odd to see him get benched, but he was back on the field, did some good things. And then Harrison, he, he had a couple flashes. He, and I feel like I say this every game about him. A couple flashes of what he can be. And you, you just don't see it consistently, though. Uh, he got his ass whooped quite a few times, right, just because Iowa State's got some dudes that are old and strong and just kind of a bad matchup for him. Uh, I didn't think he was particularly good on the front side of the zone stuff. He, he should be better. He should be better at that. And then on the backside, he also struggled to cut guys off at times. So it wasn't certainly wasn't his best. And even though it was fun to see him with the football and, and log log some yards on the stat sheet, Ted, that was also a result of him giving up a sack strip fumble in the end zone. So not, not 71's best, I would say. I try not to be too critical of young players, but if if Swinson were to replace someone, that is where I would put him. Now, it's not up to me, right? But especially it seems like Harrison went out of the game with the shoulder, never came back, and Swinson looked good at left tackle. So I, I know that, he he's got moments where you're like, man, that kid's talented, but just the lack of consistency. I just, whew, man. Whew. Yeah. Well, um, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. And it's, it's interesting. And, and I know we'll, we'll get into it at some point, but um, I, whoever your best five is, you're about to play a team that is number one in the country in sacks. Uh, Oklahoma State. They straight up get after the passer. It all starts with stopping the run, obviously, and making you predictable on offense. But you, <laughs> I mean, if, if you can't, you can't keep going backwards uh, against Oklahoma State. You can't keep going backwards, giving up sacks. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see if they make that move. Yeah. All right. Let's talk some defense from the Iowa State game. But first. The only place to stop when you're road tripping is the Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 560 locations in 41 states offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. And congrats to Marshall Jordan on winning this week's $25 game day gift card from Love's. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the drinks and snacks, including my favorite, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. 
when you see the red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com and make sure you bank at First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma, tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. Okay, Ted, looking at how the defense played, I would really like for them to not play the way they did the first two drives of the game and the last two drives of the game. If you took those four drives away, I feel great about where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, totally agree. They got off to a bit of a slow start. Uh, you know, it's frustrating that you had Brock Purdy. You had him stopped and had a penalty there that kept the drive alive and a couple of uh, untimely penalties hurt him at times. But, you know, all in all, I would say that it was a good performance. Brees Hall, you held him under 100 yards. I think he had 58 yards rushing on like 19 or 20 carries. That's pretty good. Uh, one of the best backs in the country. Um, you were all over Brock Purdy for the entire game. Uh, seven sacks, tons of quarterback pressures, tons of hurries. Were obviously in his head the entire game. He was getting out of the pocket whenever they actually had good protection at times just because he was so used to getting flushed. Um, and you know, that on, on the final couple of plays of the game, you know, he escapes out to the pocket whenever they've got it blocked up and he could have stood there inside the pocket all day, but that happened because of how active we were, um, getting after him for most of the game. Um, a couple of guys, I thought Perry on Winfrey played really well. Uh, there was a couple, obviously he had that huge hit on Brock Purdy and that's cause he was running to the ball with some great effort. Uh, he was splitting double teams. He was playing aggressive. Still wish that he would play with his pads down more. Uh, he, he still plays way too high for, for his size. Um, you know, he's, he's an explosive guy, but a lot of that is negated by high pads. It just takes all of that out. Um, I thought Benito had a couple of really nice rushes, uh, played well in the run game. A lot of times was that was that anchor point on some of the outside stuff, setting the edge pretty good. For the most part, pretty good for him. Uh, Asamoa continues to play really well. He's he's stacking uh, a couple of games here on top of each other where he's playing really, really good football. Uh, he's starting to, to really understand the concepts that they're doing and understands how to attack some of these offenses, and he's playing really fast. Um, I thought uh, Justin Broyles at nickel played – okay for a lot of the game but it fell apart on him late whenever they started attacking uh started going with charlie kohler whenever they got desperate and knew that they had to go to their best player that size mismatch and there's not a whole lot you could do about it at times you know that's that's a tough ask to to be one-on-one with him and you know they they kept going to him and he could have got some some better help there you know and that takes me to 
Aguebu at inside backer, he is really struggling with underneath coverage. You know, there's a lot of times where, you know, he's supposed to be inside help. He's supposed to be, you know, inside of number three or, you know, just in different places. And he's just floating and lost out there. And it cost him a couple of times whenever they're going to, to Kohler late. Uh, I thought, I thought Turner Yale showed yet again that he is absolutely necessary in this defense. He is decisive. He's, he's by far our most consistently aggressive player and physical player. He comes downhill. He brings the wood. He tackles really well. Uh, he's smart. Iowa State shifts and motions pretty much 100% of the time on, on every single play. And he coordinates all of that from the back end. He does an excellent job. I thought he had another good game. Um, I thought Key Lawrence uh, showed yet again that he's continuing to get better and better at corner. Um, there was a couple of plays out there, but for the most part, his size, physicality, and the confidence and aggression that he brings to corner is, is really impressive. I wish, if it were me, I would find a way to make him nickel. I just to have that size and length at the nickel spot. Like Iowa State's a perfect example of that. Whenever you got a guy like Kohler that plays in the slot and you you can put a, a big physical guy on him that's got some good coverage skills. And the way we rotate a lot of times, we play with our nickel strong and free safety essentially as three safeties. So you know, and he's already got that experience at safety. So I, I wish they would do that. I'm sure they've got the reasons why they don't, but that's, that's some of the guys that stood out for good and bad reasons. Okay. So I watched all like 90, whatever snaps, 91 or two snaps, just a lot of snaps. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go through it. I've got the time and I'm going to write some questions down from my man, Ted. Okay. First, my first question. Perrion Winfrey almost decapitated Brock Purdy. <laughs> right. And all we got from you on the broadcast was, ooh, that was it. <laughs> that was it. Were you just not impressed? Were you concerned he was going to get ejected? Like, Yeah, I because, was concerned. Yeah. I was concerned he was going to get ejected because that rule is, it, it's, it's, it's so arbitrary for when they implement it. You know, and I know he's outside the pocket and he's not protected. He's not a defenseless player, but forcible contact to the head or neck area, like they can almost find, always find a reason. And, you know, he, he ended up catching him with the shoulder, which was good. So it was a clean play, but I'm always worried. Anytime you see a big hit like that, especially on a quarterback, you're always worried that they're going to come in and throw a flag. So I, that was that's one of the best shots I've ever seen. It's just it's an absolute dream to be running full speed and be able to get someone cutting back in against the grain like that and catch him flush. That's great. I I think it's the hardest I've ever seen a quarterback be hit in person. I mean, it was it was awesome. <laughs> but yeah. it's okay. the best thing for Brock Purdy is that he never saw it coming. You know, True. if he would have saw it coming and like tightened and flinched, that one would have really hurt. 
it it's almost like the uh gosh i forget which movie it is with zach galifianakis he's like yeah i didn't tits up i feel great like he's in a car wreck i forget what movie it is but it's it's one of those where it's like yeah it's better he didn't know it was coming didn't tits up nice and loose now dude must have a strong neck and quite the brain great brain fluid on that guy okay well, I think, of I which, think Perion jarred the brain loose and Turner Yell went ahead and separated the thing. What? That was, I mean, that's a flat out targeting. I'm shocked that they didn't review that. Crown of the helmet directly into the face. Where, this is one of my questions I wrote down. What do you think Brock Purdy was doing for the 40 minutes that he just disappeared? Because he was right. gone. Dude, like in the locker room, they took his helmet. He was gone, and then all of a sudden, he was back and he was slinging it. Took a quick nap, maybe. I don't know. Uh, went and uh, huffed a bunch of smelling salts. I don't know what they did, but um, yeah, Deckers comes out there and throws a bad interception, and you know, hey, credit Purdy for coming back out there and fighting through that because he took some shots and. I mean, those are two monster hits, but he was under duress the entire day. Like, almost every snap, he was under some type of pressure. Uh, okay, this is this was actually my first question on the list. 12 plays, 75 yards, and they go score a touchdown on their first drive of the game. What were you thinking after that drive? Because well, I I was rather concerned. I was worried. But I knew that we had a couple of opportunities that we, we could have stopped them on that, on that drive. Um, it, I was worried whenever we scored in two plays. Like when they went down and scored, put together a nice drive. I was like, okay, we've seen this before in games where we've settled in. And they do so much shift in motion. Sometimes you've got to see how they're going to do it right there in front of you before you can start to really adjust and settle in. So I wasn't too worried about that. Whenever we scored in two plays, I was like, yay, those guys are going to be exhausted jogging back out there. And we're just starting this thing off. And that, that all those snaps may wear on us playing them this early, but um, I thought they ended up settling in just fine. And, and again, it was all, we won the line of scrimmage. We dominated the line of scrimmage defensively. And that was the key. Okay, and this this is the I saved the best one for last. How on God's green earth did Iowa State run a double pass where they did the little pitch jet sweep thing and then they threw another pass off it? I because Deckers didn't just lose his mind, right? Like that looked it looked like it was timed perfectly, like they had practiced it and how does that happen? How how does a play that is illegal make it through the entire week of practice and then get called on game day? I have no idea. Uh, the only thing I can think of is that he wasn't supposed to do that. And maybe he didn't get any reps at it throughout the week because that's probably not something that you run a whole bunch with the, the number two quarterback. I don't know, but I'm... Even if it was a legal play, it was third and one. I, 
What, why are they even and, calling it? And Purdy wasn't hurt yet. Because remember, that play ends up – set, set, It sets yeah. up the super third and long where Purdy makes the critical That's error. Right. And so, yeah, he, he practiced sport. it. I So, I, yeah, I, brain fart there. Of course he practiced it. That's the play they put him in specifically for. So I have no idea. I, I don't know. That was – we talked about it on the broadcast. Like, how does that happen? How does it happen, and why are they doing it? <laughs> Some of their – I'll say this. Some of their short yardage play calling was oh, gross. Horrible. Just, just bad ball. Try, they right. got way too cute in moments whenever they didn't need to, but I thought it was good. And, you know, I, even though it was an illegal play, I, I thought that our guys actually rallied to it pretty good. Um, and, you know, even though that's one of those they're putting in there to try and try and get you on something and score a touchdown, right? They've got you, you know, they put a guy in at quarterback. They're probably doing that. So you're thinking quarterback run game and you're going to be all heavy in on it, but pretty good job adjusting to it. The only real complaint is some of the passing stuff in the late in the game, whenever they really started going to Kohler, uh, you know, we just flat got beat a couple of times. We overplayed things a couple of times. And I'll just tell you right now, Brock Purdy, he he cost them the game. He, you know, there's two plays there at the end where he escapes out of the pocket to the right side for no reason. They got no pressure at all. And, you know, he waits forever to make that throw to Allen, the one that's intercepted. If he just throws it to him right away, it's a first down, easily a first down, and he may make his way into the end zone. And the play before that, he's got Kohler. He escapes to the right for some unknown reason, but he's got Kohler on a little seven cut to the corner where I think it was Broyles or Turner Yell got all spun around on him. And he probably, he either would have got a defensive holding call if they would have thrown it to him or probably would have caught the ball if it was thrown well. So you mentioned, and that's the last play for them on offense in the game, right? The interception. Mm -hmm. You mentioned him overthrowing Allen. First of all, he was wide open. Yeah. I mean, wide open. And also, Brees Hall out of the backfield on that play. Did you see him? He's Uh, got one-on-one in space, like little option route, and I can't remember who it is, but just leaves whoever just standing still in place. And he's just in the middle of the field, and the ball's already like, he's like, oh, no. I mean, he was. It's it's because he took off escaping to the right for no reason. It's crazy. But hey, I'm glad he did it. <laughs> Shout out to Brock Purdy. Hey, Thanks, Brock. Player of the game. If if only someone would have said that the guy makes critical, critical mistakes that cost his team games. It's nuts, dude. That I mean, the what are they calling it? The thick six. Uh, oh yeah, two C's, baby. My boy yeah. Mike Goley Jr. It's stuff like that happens to Purdy like way too much. You know, it's it's. But that was a good job by Key Lawrence coming up and, and being aggressive on that play and causing it. Okay, let's get to call your shot. Ask you guys for your number one takeaway from OU's win over Iowa State. Uh, this first one comes from Gary Harrison. One of ten on third down, not going to win another game this year. Yeah, that's not good. I mean, when nope. you, you look at some of the stats for Oklahoma in this game, if you're exactly. just looking at the box score, you're like, 
huh? And then you get to the turnovers and you're like, oh, (laughs) and the turnovers aren't to the bottom. Yeah. I mean, even, I don't think people realize like Iowa state had the ball for 16 and a half more minutes than Oklahoma in this game. Yeah. Just crazy. They ran 90 some plays. We just talked about 91 or 92 plays and you know, a, a, a lot of times they resulted in nothing and, but that's right. We talked about that in the post game and I've already mentioned Oklahoma state once and I know we'll get to them more, but they're not good on third down. Number one in the country, I think, (laughs) right. Are they, are they still number one in the country? Oh yeah. At, At one point they had given up in the, in big 12 play, just in big 12 play, I think before this week, and I haven't looked at it since they had given up like 18, third down conversions in all big 12 play the entire season. Oklahoma so. state leads the country in third down defense. Opponents are converting 24 and a half percent of third downs. Well, it also, the reason they have so many sacks, the reason they're so good on third downs, because they're so good stopping the run. Third and four is hard to stop. Third and six is a little bit uh, easier. Third and eight, it's starting to get good. Your percentage is going up. Third and 10, third and 12, third and more because you're getting so many like good stops. That's whenever it becomes really easy, and that's that's where they make their hay. The uh, the preview, the Bedlam preview pod is going to be good. By the way, remind me to ask Whedon if he can do that with us. Ah, yeah. Oh, Weed, it's been a while. It's been a while. We'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, the, we'll get the former first-round pick on here to talk about his Cowboys. All right, before we move on to the National College Football Roundup, you know what time it is, Ted. Birthday shout-outs. Go. This has become hilariously popular, by the way. <laughs> I did not, I never did not see this coming. I don't even it's remember like, how I it started. I can't wait for the birthday shout-outs. Best part of the podcast. That's Happy great. 13th birthday to Jake and Connor Evans. Welcome to being teenagers, boys. Congratulations. No Twin teenage boys. How about that? Uh, some advice. Don't be shitheads. There you go. Take that with you. <laughs> That's impossible as a teenage boy, right? Okay. I will amend my statement. <laughs> Try your best not to be shitheads too often. Right. That's yes, good advice. Much better. Also, happy birthday to their grandfather, Hank Evans. All right, Hank. Happy Happy 27th birthday to Zach Lindley. Yeah, you, Zach. Happy birthday, man. 27, man. He's hitting the full stride. That's the best days of your life, man. Enjoy it. Good age. Probably a lot of weddings in that guy's life right now. A lot of weddings around then. Uh, Happy 36th birthday to Courtney Taylor. Happy 38th birthday coming up for Dewey's finest, Josh Stowe. I think it's Stowe and not Stowey. S-T-O-W-E. Stowe? Yep, that's right. Happy that's birthday. That's you, Josh. That's you. And big congrats to Peyton on his engagement to Hannah. Congrats, Peyton. Wow. Congrats. That's awesome. Best of luck. Oh, that's what encouraging words. All right. Is that our first engagement shout out? I know we've I done think anniversary. So. We, we've had, we have now had an engagement shout out and an anniversary shout out. So, okay. you know, we, we're taking Good. all the requests. Hey, love it. It, it. This this podcast is for the listeners, Ted. True. That's our motto. True. It's not it's not us 
It's not free therapy for us to voice all of our frustrations about OU football and college football in general. That's oh, not it. Okay. We would never do that. Oh, uh, all right. Yeah. I'm with all you. All right. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Guys, fall is here, but does weather really matter? Because it's always hard seltzer season, and there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Sonic Hard Seltzer from Coop Works. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it in the hot tub, by the fire, and at the tailgate. You can buy 12 packs of the iconic Sonic drive-in flavors like Cherry Limeade and Ocean Water, or you can grab a citrus variety pack or a tropical variety pack. Find it at your local grocery, convenience, and liquor stores. By the way, I, our, our friends at Coop Works send us some swag. Remind me to give it to you. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Love it. Thank you, Coop. All right, National College Football Roundup. Oklahoma State goes to Lubbock. Trap game, right? Mm. Trap game. Dangerous. False. Oklahoma State, 23. Texas Tech, zero. I thought Lubbock was uh, tough to play at night, right? Yeah. That's what I've continued to hear for some unknown reason. Yeah. Uh, can't lose a trap game on the road if you don't let the other team score, Ted. That is uh, it's a good way to go about it. This just in. Oklahoma State's defense is really good. And really good. As we predicted, Donovan Smith came crashing back to earth against this Oklahoma State defense, and they shut down anything and everything Tech tried to do offensively. Now, you, you look at what Oklahoma State did offensively. It was, it was an interesting performance for the Cowboys offense. I, I don't think the plan coming into the game was – now I don't know this. I'm just assuming – but I, I doubt the plan was to have Spencer Sanders throw it 38 times because they, they kind of struggled to run the ball at times against the Texas Tech defensive line that now is back fully healthy, and they are an underrated group. They haven't had all their guys. They had them in this game, and they look good. And they played well, and they made it tough on Oklahoma State. But, and it was almost like Gundy realized that – Tech wasn't going to score, and he was like, you know what, Jalen Warren, let's just let, – let's have it be a light night for you. Uh, he didn't have his typical, you know, 25, 30 carry night in this game. But the one thing about Oklahoma State had a guy, another guy go down in this game. Like, they are beat up mm-hmm. along the offensive line. So that creates clearly a very interesting dynamic for Bedlam. But Spencer Sanders, man – uh, I know the completion percentage isn't great in this one, but made some nice plays with his legs, didn't make any critical errors in the passing game, uh, took care of the football. Tay Martin had a couple really nice catches. Now, he did drop a touchdown, which, you know, it is what it is, but 
he he is he's their playmaker uh, along with Presley, but also Tanner Brown made all their kicks. By the way, we didn't talk about it. Burkett's just is he just not good anymore? I don't know, man. Once you once you got a little chink in the armor, man, the confidence is shaking a little bit. You start thinking about it, and I don't know. Everyone's saying since he's kicked the burrito, he's he's changed. The I don't curse. know. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. The curse of the burrito for Burkitt. You got to go kick another one to cancel it out, don't you? Oh, that's a good point. Or what's the opposite of a burrito? Do you kick the opposite to cancel it out? Taco? Uh, I feel like they're wait. in the same family. The so opposite do to, of a burrito. Do you have to switch um, like genres of food, like kick I, a bowl of pasta or something? I would. Yeah, I think like, don't you think like a nice, just sloppy burrito like the the exact opposite would be like some fine dining like fufu fufu dish right yeah maybe you got to sacrifice once one of those to the food gods i don't know kick a lamb chop sure (laughs) (laughs) why not why not kick some caviar (laughs) caviar there just just kick kick a thing of caviar everywhere i don't know but oklahoma state's kicker made all his kicks so Ted, I'm not sure that Oklahoma State, if it was the curb stomping you predicted, but they didn't let the other team score. That's uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, we know their formula. It was it was interesting to see how much they threw the ball, and you know, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that Oklahoma State's going to have some new things offensively for Oklahoma that we haven't seen. I think they're going to have to have Spencer Sanders do some things with his legs, uh, quarterback run game wise. And that's what worries me. Like he doesn't worry me in the drop back passing game. Uh, it's what he can do once he gets off schedule. Cause he's, he's going to be one of the faster, more athletic quarterbacks that we face this year. Yeah. Uh, first time tech has been shut out since 1997. And yeah, they've Oklahoma, been t- they've typically been good offensively over the years. Yeah, and I feel like it. We have to mention this, no matter what happens in Bedlam, Oklahoma State University will play in their first Big Twelve championship game. And as as Tay Martin eloquently put it after the game, they expect Whoopo use ass. So there's that. That's go. That is. This is going to be. It's going to be a great game. Number one, but it's going to be probably the most hostile environment OU has played in in a long, long time. I it, there's been a couple of top ten matchups, and I think what was fifteen a top ten matchup? Yes, it was. There's only, I think there's only been like two top 10. I think 15 and 85 or something like that, right? Yeah. What about, what about the 45 Oklahoma State team? Didn't they win the title? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just had to work that in there. Come on. It's Bedlam week. Let's go. That place is going to be, they got a really good football team and they've got the SEC stuff they've been all pissed off about. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. It's, I can't wait. I am going to, I'm going to stay vigilant down there on the sideline. Head on a swivel, baby. Head on a swivel. Okay. Michigan State 
went to Columbus, Ohio, and got their ass kicked. Seven to 56. And we thought we thought things could get bad for Michigan State if they couldn't run the football well with Kenneth Walker III. Um, thought they had to limit possessions in this game. And they didn't do any of that. And now it sounds like Kenneth Walker III was pretty banged up with the ankle in this game. He had 25 yards rushing. And his Heisman hopes died in this game as well. But this thing was over in the first quarter. I mean, over. What an absolute ass-kicking by the Buckeyes. You look at their defensive line, controlled the line of scrimmage. Their offense just overwhelmed the Spartans. Ted, it was 49 to nothing at halftime. They could have scored 100 points. They could have scored 100 points, yeah. And I'm going to say this, and I know it's going to make people sad. Believe me, it makes me sad when I say it. It reminded me of the Peach Bowl. Mm. That first half, the way that C.J. Stroud was just exposing that Michigan, Michigan State secondary, uh, Olave, Wilson, Smith, and Jigba, they did whatever they want. They took turns roasting those guys up and down the field. Uh, the pass protection for Stroud was really good. But, yeah, I, I almost had a flashback watching the game Sunday morning, I was like, oh, 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 gosh. But the these last couple of games, Ohio State had had some trouble scoring touchdowns. We talked about their struggles scoring touchdowns in the red zone. That was not an issue in this one. They were, they were really good in the low red, Ted. The execution was there. They can run the ball with Henderson. Uh, Mine Williams, is he's more than serviceable at running back for them as well. Man, I I have to assume that Ryan Day and his staff, like they started game planning for Michigan on the headsets in the second half. That Ooh. game was that was a bloodbath. Well, you know, the second half was what a seven seven tie. So that's a great point. Do, if you're Mel Tucker, that's how you're Michigan. spinning it. <laughs> they're right. trying, they're trying to take that uh that contract offer back, and you're like, no, 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 no take backs. Whew. Yeah, that was that was brutal. Ohio State hitting their stride and got a big one against Michigan. That's going to be, it's going to be fun. And I expect Ohio state to win it. Um, Michigan, and it may be in some like horribly dramatic fashion, but uh, that was big time from Ohio state. They are, I mean, a, a lot of people fail to recognize or talk about the fact that CJ Stroud's a freshman, redshirt freshman. And he did struggle a little bit early, you know, but he also looked really good at times in some of those, that Minnesota game to start off the season. And then that Oregon game, uh, he's gotten better and better and better throughout the season. You think Quinn Ewers is going to transfer to Texas? There was, I remember hearing a rumor about that at some point this season. Well, he's from Texas, remember? Right. Yeah, he was. Well, he was committed there committed, originally, right? Committed, That's kind of one of the reasons I think Tom Herman got fired. Yeah. Maybe. That's something to keep an eye on. He's going somewhere. Yeah. What's he going to do? Beat C.J. Stroud out? Did you see that kid? Oh, my God. Yeah. Ridiculous. That passing game is fun to watch, man. You talk about pushing it down the field. Yeah. 
Oh, boy. All right, last game. Oregon goes to Utah. And, of course, we're going to get a competitive game between the two best teams of the Pac-12, right? False. Utah smacks the Ducks. 38-7. to Ted, we, we should have never doubted Utah in those jerseys. And I know a lot of people didn't like them, but it doesn't matter if you like them. All that matters is the players loved them. And should have never thought that the Pac-12 was not going to sabotage itself and eliminate itself from the college football playoff for, what, a fourth straight season? But, man, another big game and another ass-kicking. I mean, Utah just ran it right at Oregon with Tavion Thomas and some TJ Pledger, our guy, sprinkled in there. And Oregon couldn't do much about it, man. Uh, you know, certainly giving up the punt return touchdown as time expired in the first half to make it 28-0. That certainly didn't help things for the Ducks, but Oregon had to get away from what they like to do offensively. They got away from the running game uh, because they were in such a big hole, and it's just not the way that they want to play. And Didn't get enough in the passing game with Anthony Brown. You had wide receivers arguing with each other, wide receivers kind of showing up the quarterback there in the second half, like, what the hell are you doing? It was, it was interesting. But on the Utah side of things, thought Cameron Rising, man, he did a good job managing the football game for Utah. Just a dominant win for the Utes. And I'll say this, I don't think many people want a piece of Utah right now. They, yep. they got things rolling. They do a good, solid play offensively, defensively. You know, sometimes it can be hard playing with a big lead like that because you start to not worry about every single every single yard and, you know, you start playing maybe a little bit too conservatively, but God, they were all over Oregon. It's fun to watch, man. Um, when you dominate all three phases like that against a, a, a top five football team, that's impressive. That's got to be one of the biggest wins Utah history, right? You would assume, right? I mean, they're, they're going to go to the PAC 12 championship game. And I think, I would assume they're going to be favored the rest of the way right, with the way that they've been playing. And they play Oregon again? Yeah. That's... They, them and Arizona State were tied, but did they beat Arizona State for the – Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So Nice. The, the youths. Okay, what you, would you think of the jerseys? Because I think it's – I think those jerseys are like the classic example of they look – cool from close up but they don't look very cool from far away because it kind of just looked like a gray sweat bland far. yeah yeah it's pretty it looked pretty bland but uh knowing what they are what they represented i thought it was really cool thought the helmets like capped it all off thought i thought it was really good nice little change up pretty cool yeah all right let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend but first concussions are a part of football they don't have to be a part of your pool party. Nip the slip with Soft Rocks rubber safety surfacing and spend more time enjoying your outdoor parties and less time worrying about a slip and fall on your pool deck. Soft Rock of OKC specializes in customized slip resistant decorative rubber surfacing for your pool decks, patios, walkways, and gym floors. Local business owners Heidi and Cody Clark at Soft Rock of OKC are ready to help you prevent that next slip. 
Visit softrock.com slash OKC. That's S-O-F-T-R-O-C dot com slash OKC for more information. The Clark's also on the driveway company. The driveway company has tailored solutions to eliminate all of your driveway problems. They can repair cracks, clean and seal your rotting grass field joints to prevent water damage, ultimately saving you thousands of dollars in future repairs. Visit thedrivewaycompany.com slash OKC for all of your driveway repair needs. Learn more about Softrock and the driveway company by visiting their Facebook and Instagram pages or by calling 405-294-9834. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence with a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio. No student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. All right. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? We just touched on it a little bit, but... C.J. Stroud, whenever you look at what he's done, um, he is maybe putting himself in the driver's seat for the Heisman Trophy. Listen to what he's done the last two games. He is 63 of 75 for, uh, that's 84%, by the way, completion percentage. 63 of 75 for 793 yards 11 touchdowns, zero interceptions in two games. One of those, a top 10 matchup. Um, He is elevating. He's getting better and better and better as the year rolls on. He's also going to have another top 10 matchup this week. And after that, he's going to have a matchup against the number, depending on what metric you look at, two or three defense in the country with Wisconsin the stage is set for him to go out and win the Heisman Trophy now I know um, I I know the Alabama quarterback has played really well also and if he beats Georgia's defense maybe that gives him a shot at it but I don't know I think CJ Stroud and that Ohio State offense are just going to uh, even though Mich- Michigan's defense is fantastic, I think that they're going to put up some really big numbers, really big points. Same thing against Wisconsin. I don't know. I just I feel like he's got a path to the Heisman Trophy right now, and he's taking advantage of it. Yeah, looking at looking at the odds at BetMGM, he is now the favorite, minus two hundred. And you mentioned Bryce Young. He's got the second best odds at plus 150. And then there is a big jump to Matt Corral at plus 1600. So it's, it's going to be one of those two guys, right? And unfortunately for Bryce Young, Auburn kind of sucks this year. So the Iron Bowl isn't that big of a deal. But with with what George's reputation is defensively, if he lights that defense up, I'm not sure like that just wouldn't be enough to win him the Heisman Trophy, right? Because they have almost, they have become like mythical this season. Yep. Like it's 
and now everyone is realizing that Jordan Davis is just a massive human being. Some of the some of the pictures gave him the around. touchdown. He's just oh yeah, did you see the big man score? Yeah, thick six, baby, let's go. Yep, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, here's the thing though, man. You're right. Like Wisconsin is really good defensively. Like they they give up 15 points a game, uh, which is you know nowhere close to Georgia's seven, but the yards a game uh, they give up is, it's almost hilarious. Wisconsin gives up like 230 yards a game. It was like 214 before this weekend, then they gave some up. But yeah, I, I, you're right though. If, if he can go out there against Al or against Georgia's defense and dice them up, he may get the win, but I don't, he may, they may beat them, but I don't know that he's going to do anything impressive. And I think that CJ Stroud might, but who knows? No, I'm with you. All right. But it's going to be one of those two guys. It's, it's kind of interesting how, how little discussion there is around the Heisman Trophy right now. Like normally, and maybe yeah. you, you know what it is? It's the fact that OU doesn't have someone in the discussion. I've decided that it's like, because normally we talk about it a ton because there's an OU guy involved, right? Mm-hmm. And is that it? Or is it, or, or is it just le- you, less talk You know talk what's about interesting? It. I think it's like the year of the defense. Defense is back and is, it's back in a big way. And I feel like a lot of national conversation has been talking about how good some of these defenses are. And, and some of the numbers that they've put up. And I don't know. I've enjoyed that a little bit. I think it's been pretty cool. But you're right. I think for, for a long time, there was really no one that was taking the range. You kind of had your, your leaders, a, a few guys, but they hadn't done anything like statistically that was just like mind-blowing. But they're starting to. C.J. Stroud is starting to do some things statistically that are looking pretty good. Yeah. He, he was impressive against Michigan state. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the weekend? And uh, gosh, I hope I know where this is going. You know, karma is a hell of a thing, Gabe. And every now and then you get frustrated with the universe that why are things the way they are? But then you wake up and you hear something like I heard today, and it just sets everything back in order. Dan Mullen is the loser of the week, fired from Florida, should have been fired post game against Oklahoma last year uh, after we beat their ass, and he tried to have some stupid, I don't, some of the dumb things that he said were just ridiculous. It's not that hard to just, you know, not be an idiot and not say stupid things and not discredit your opponent and not discredit, um, you know, the people that you're you're playing week in, week out and your coaching staff and, you know, the way you coach and the way you recruit. And it's not that hard. And, you know, if he was just a good guy, you know, he he'd probably still have a job. Right, they probably give him the benefit of the doubt, but since he's a moron, he's he's now 
he's laughing all the way to the bank because he gets a big payout. I wish there was something we could do about that, but the world is back in order, right? After Dan Mullen was fired by Florida. That is, yeah. And it sounds like, it sounds, it sounds like the quickest way to lose your job, even when you're losing games, right? And what he was two and six this year in SEC play, but when, when the fans stop messing with you, like when they know they're no longer buying what you're selling and you're not recruiting at the level you're supposed to recruit at at a place like Florida, the way that his contract was set up, right? The buyout was the same, whether they fired him this year, next year, it was 12 million from what I understand. So I think Scott Strickland, the AD there at Florida said, you know what? This guy kind of sucks. Our fans don't really like him. I I don't know how much pl- the players like him, but yeah, and all of a sudden, one of what the top, you know, one of the 10 best jobs in college football is now open. And LSU's still open. I there's going to be so many jobs open up this year. It's crazy. I mean, these are these are the ones that have opened up during the season. But, you know, once those vacated or once, you know, those folks hire coaches, like there's going to be a lot of head coaches from smaller programs that get those jobs. And then those places are going to have to hire head coaches. Like there's going to be so much movement this year. It's going to be ridiculous. But I I thought uh, one of the funniest things I saw regarding this was the someone tweeted out that uh, Dan Mullen was, I think they were like eight and one and in a position to go to the college football playoff until this happened. And it had a picture of the guy throwing the shoe against oh, LSU. <laughs> it all started with someone with the, the, the shoe throw, the shoe throw. They lose their last three games of the season, uh, get pounded by Oklahoma uh, in the Cotton Bowl, and this team has, or this year has been a disaster as well. So awesome! Remember when Florida played Bama really close and did kind of push them around in the second half at the line of scrimmage? Remember how Florida, like happy Florida fans were? Yeah. And now I they mean, I know coach. they they lost to LSU and Flor in Alabama in two close games at the end of that season. And trash through for over 400 yards, like five or six times during the year. And it's like, all right, here we go, baby. Nope. Wrong. Sorry. See ya. I love it. Congrats on your 12 million, Dan. Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. If you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones lineage, single malt whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcony's Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from the blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that it is, and that is, damn it, and that <laughs> is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcony's Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors, make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. 
In 2012, Balcones single malt won the best in glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen and became the first American distillery to win the competition. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconesDistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the weekend, thought about going with Lewis Hamilton. Ted, I know you love Formula One talk. Love it. A wire-to-wire win for the GOAT at the Qatar Grand Prix, which, by the way, I thought we all decided we were saying it Cutter like right. a couple years ago, and now sure. everyone's back to saying Qatar. I, I uh, It's confusing. Yeah, I don't like that. I'm sticking with Cutter. Okay. But they said Qatar the entire broadcast. Just thought I'd bring it up, but... That's back-to-back wins for Hamilton. And all of a sudden, Max Verstappen's lead in the driver's standings down to eight points. Two races to go, Ted. Got to be fun. Got to be a fun finish in F1. Well, I feel like, does anyone else other than Lewis Hamilton or Verstappen win? I feel like it's the same thing every week whenever you say it. It's almost like you just copy and paste the results. Are, are you sure I don't? No. I've never fact-checked you on your Formula That'd One. That'd be funny if I had just been saying the same thing every <laughs> time there was stuff. a Formula One race. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, pretty much those are the only two guys that win. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. You you kind of nailed it. Yeah. Well, Cole Trickle said it in uh, Days of Thunder that you got to have uh, – what you, your name's got to be Andretti or Unser, and you've got to have a ton of money – and the best car in order to win. So he was talking about this, I guess, right? Well, the cool thing, it, you need to watch, you need to di- dive into some stuff on Lewis Hamilton because he's like the one guy that is like not from a rich mm-hmm. family. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, he's that's cool. Yeah, he's uh, and he's also the best to ever do it at this point. So yeah, pretty, pretty interesting guy. But also thought about going with the Indianapolis Colts because, whoa, I mean, went to Buffalo and smacked the Bills 41-15. Five touchdowns for Jonathan Taylor, who all of a sudden finds himself in the MVP conversation. He's playing his tail off. Did did you watch the Colts' uh, hard knocks, the in-season hard knocks? I've watched a little of it, but not like I haven't. I didn't watch it as much as I thought I would. I don't know why. They were just talking about him in last week's uh, quite a bit. So, yeah, he's had a heck of a season, man. He's a freak, by the way. Yeah. Like a physical freak. But my winner of the weekend, our guy, Shane Bieber, baby. Let's go, Shane. Shane Beamer and the South Carolina Gamecocks are bowl eligible after battling back from a 14-0 deficit to beat Auburn. Just a reminder. Preseason win total for South Carolina was set at three and a half wins. And this is a team that at one point had a grad assistant coach playing quarterback for them. Oh, my God. So they were able and to beat. I, I feel bad because uh, they, were getting, they were getting shut out, and I turned my attention elsewhere. I feel bad. I feel bad. Well, some people will say, well, because you stopped watching, it's the reason they came back, right? There's people that yes, believe in that you're stuff welcome. out there. So great job. Good job by you, Ted. 
and you you look at what they've accomplished this year, right? South Carolina is five and one at home. Uh, they've beaten Florida and Auburn. I I really don't even care what happens in the Clemson game coming up, but he's done one hell of a job, man. And I, I know the program is probably not close to where he wants it to be, but it feels like he's changed the culture and that thing is absolutely headed in the right direction. All the videos of him almost crying after the game. It was post-game, post-game presser in the locker room. It's great, though. Everyone's heard the old phrase, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that means something, you know, and and he, he, those players will go out there and do everything they ask. And, and it's awesome. I, you know, can you imagine like that fan base, they were locked in on him before the season even started just because like we're talking about with Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen's an ass. Shane Beamer is an awesome man. He's an awesome guy. He's an awesome coach and everyone absolutely loves him there. And can you imagine what, what happens if they beat Clemson? They haven't beat Clemson in forever. If they beat Clemson, last game of the season at home, that place is – they're going to tear that stadium down, man. It's going to be awesome. By the way, we nailed our prediction on the uh, Clemson-Wake Forest game that we did on Sooner Game Day. Yeah, that, that, that was something. Yeah, yeah, that Clemson defense still pretty good, but just, just finishing up on Beamer, I mean, what a guy. And I hope all you idiots out there that said he didn't deserve that job, that said he only got it because of who his dad was, said he only got it because people in the media liked him. There was all that stuff that people threw out there. Maybe he just got the job because he's a damn good football coach. Yeah. And And he's been on the podcast, so that's probably why people love him. And we'll be on the podcast again. That's the no. thing, man. I, I, I know Coach Beamer. I wouldn't say that I know him well. I know him from whenever he was at OU and being around the team. But if I text Shane Beamer right now, I guarantee you he would text me back. That's, that, like, that's how, how he is. That's the type of guy he is. And just people... People absolutely love the guy, and those guys are going to play for him, man. He's going to turn it around, the recruiting. He's going to hit it out of the park in recruiting. It's awesome. And also, he's $100,000 richer, baby. Hit that Woo! hit that incentive with that sixth win. Let's go, Shane. Adam boy. All right, for my loser of the weekend, I thought I, – I really hope you saw this, Ted. I thought about going – with the fan at the Jazz Kings game, please tell me you saw this guy. That was I'm, just I'm going to look at it right. I'm going to watch okay. it right now. This dude was so drunk that he is sitting courtside and just puking like on his chair and onto the floor. I mean, and not even reacting. It's just and everyone's just like getting up and walking away from like I don't know this guy. That's amazing. All and, I did is t- in Twitter type in J in the search bar, and it went to jazz vomit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was – and Rudy Gobert said that he made eye contact with the guy, and, like, the guy was smiling 
the entire time he was puking. And you talk about some elite degenerate stuff right there, man. That is elite degenerate behavior. Puking courtside. And I think I, I think it's because it's a West Coast game. It's in Sacramento. I think it was at like 9 p.m. So it's not like it was like 11. I, the dude was just gone. This Never video of that. them like going to all like going to all of the reactions in real time as as they're cleaning it up and watching it, that's pretty funny. Oh, uh, unfortunately, uh, I think that game that maybe that was a sign for Luke Walton. Yeah, that the vomit is what got him fired. <laughs> right. They're like, we've had enough. We've had enough. But uh, also thought about going with the Tennessee Titans. Lost to the Texans on Sunday in Nashville. What the hell was going on in the NFL on Sunday? Don't know. Crazy. I <laughs> I just, I don't know. But my loser of the weekend, I'll stick with the NFL. Dallas Cowboys, right? And, you know, we we talked about this one on, uh, on Wet the Beak last episode. Seemed like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense had maybe found a little rhythm the last couple of weeks. But we assume the Cowboys would be able to score some points. They do have the best offense in the NFL, and they were going up against that Chiefs defense, and not so much. I mean, the best offense in the league didn't score a touchdown. And And their defense played great. I thought their defense was really good. Yeah. Kept giving them chances late. Like It looked like at one point, it's like, okay, well, this – Kansas City is just going to continue to maybe kick field goals or if they hit on one play, this thing's going to be over. And their defense kept, you know, kept getting the ball back, kept forcing punts, kept giving them opportunities, nothing. The Chiefs, I thought that, and I I think they're starting to play some better football and maybe things are starting to come together for them defensively. Man, they got after Dak. And listen, I... I know that Amari Cooper won playing and CD land, man, he hit his head on the ground. That was, you know, that's one of those classic whiplash, hit your head on the ground concussions, man, that. And he came back and played late though, right? There's no way he came back in. I think they got a guy on the team that looks exactly like him. The Brown guy. That may have been it, but I heard them say on the broadcast, I thought that he came back in uh, into the game. But um, You could be right, but I thought he was ruled out with a concussion. Yeah, they may have just said that he's back out on the on the sideline maybe, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah there's, a, uh, there's a guy for the Cowboys. He's like his body double. Basically, I'm pretty sure his last name's Brown. I can't remember... If it's, I don't think it's the guy that went to Ohio State. This is going to be tremendous podcasting as I look this up now that you. Noah Brown. Is that, isn't that the guy that went to Ohio State that killed OU in Norman? Is that right? Uh, Maybe. Yeah, maybe they had him and who was the back that they used? Like they used him in the backfield and also he was like a kind of like a Tyreek Hill type of guy. Curtis Samuel. I don't remember if the Brown. Noah Brown, where are you? He didn't. Oh, there he is. He had. He went to Ohio State. Nailed it. Nice. Gosh. 
that was gonna that was gonna really bother me. I'm I'm leaving all this in, by the way. Um, <laughs> but in, in that game, Cowboys turned it over three times. They were inside the Chiefs thirty five times, only scored nine points, didn't score a touchdown. So you you look at you know the expectation of that offense couldn't get Zeke going at all in the run game. Couldn't protect Dak Dak Prescott. Got sacked a bunch. Got hit a bunch. Chris Jones was an absolute problem. And all of a sudden, you look at it, and the Chiefs have won four in a row, Ted. Yeah, won four in a row, and they're doing it, you know, without Mahomes still playing his his best ball. I, you know, he had the interception in the game, but didn't throw a touchdown. Um, they're finding other ways to do it, and their defense is, defense is playing better. Yeah, they were all over Dak Prescott, sacked him five times. And I was, you know, Dallas, I think they kept throwing the ball because they felt like they were right there. But they they only ran the ball 16 times. Yeah, abandoned it a little bit. They abandoned it. And I'm, I'm like I said, I think it's because they felt like they were they were right there and they had to had to generate something. But if they would have just stuck with it, they may have been able to hit something, but I don't know. It was uh, it was interesting. I, I knew I remembered the name Noah Brown for a reason. Five catches, 70, 72 yards, four touchdowns against OU. Dang. He caught that one in the back corner of the end zone. That You remember yeah. that catch? Yeah, I, I remember. I was still playing when this game happened, but I remember it and being like, uh, not good. Don't like that. Yeah. Noah Brown. CD Lamb's body double. I hope CD's okay. He, there, there's no way he's going to play in the Thanksgiving game. Doubt, you get a yeah, concussion no. on Sunday. Uh, you can't imagine. I mean, he, and that he would should have played. They're going to be without him and Amari Cooper for that game. All of a sudden, it's a little interesting in Dallas. Opportunity, Noah Brown. Opportunity. Come on, Noah Brown. Do what you do what you did against the Sooners. Have have a day on Christmas Day. Come on. All right. That note, episode 166 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Thursday morning. We will preview Bedlam, hopefully with Brandon Whedon. I'm gonna say Brandon's gonna do it. We haven't asked him yet, but he's gonna do it. Tell him to do it. Tweet him. He'll do it. He'll do it. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from two to six on 94.7 the ref. You can hear me from three to five on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.
just one more time.